Hey everybody, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning in to Front Row Knowles and thank you to Seminole Boosters for their support of this program and more than that, their support of Florida State student-athletes. If you're listening to this show and you're not a booster, what are you doing? Support the program and the student-athletes you care about. All the information you need is online at boosters.fsu.edu. Your gift makes an impact. It supports scholarships and sports medicine, strength and conditioning, nutrition, equipment. Buy tickets, show the student-athletes you care. All the info you need, boosters.fsu.edu. And all the info you need this week, well, here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Hey, Keith, how are you, sir? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm basking in 3-0. and How long has it been? 2015? What's that, seven seasons? Been a long time. I, I too, am reflecting and enjoying that, trying not to get too far out in front. Boston College comes to town. We'll talk about that today. Bob Frantair, Osceola Insider, will join us. Of course, I guess the... The big story is we're just going to have to wait and see on all these guys who are nicked up. But more than that, I, I do think it, it's nice to be among the land of the unbeaten. And we've got a chance with a win this week to finish September and still be unblemished. And that, too, is something that hasn't happened for a long, long time. That is correct. And we've already established one record, uh, if I read cor- correctly, one collegiate record. Uh, Florida State is the first team to start a season 3-0 and playing on three different days of the week. That was false. That got circulated, but that's just fiction. It is. David Hale, our good friend, uh, refuted it and said it happened last year. I think Coastal Carolina did it. But we could just throw it out there anyway. And <laughs> Well, how about Division One FBS or something? Or University from Tallahassee or something like that, right? Whatever works. It has been a little bit strange to play uh, Friday night game, a Sunday night game, a Saturday game. Did you see the numbers for the Friday night game, by the way? We're strong again. The second best rated Friday night game on ESPN since 2018. Well, and that game, as we talked about in our post-game podcast, I mean, if you're not an FSU or Louisville fan, obviously, it was still an entertaining ball game. And we've seen far too many uh, week zero, week one, and week two that were blowouts. Now, we've seen a bunch of close games. There have been some really uh, exciting games, high-scoring games, Carolina and Appalachian State and, you know, uh, A&M losing uh, like they did. But there have been some blowouts and some ho-hums. So that particular Friday night game, I'm sure, called everyone's attention and kept it. So we already debriefed about the game, but now that you've reflected for a couple more days, what are your thoughts at this point, other than basking in the glow of 3-0? and Well, I go back to reality, which is uh, injured players. You know, or, or when or, you know, if or when are you going to have Travis back? Uh, what's going on with the offensive line? I feel so bad for Verse, um, given the fact that he, you know, worked so hard to get to the position where he could be at Florida State and have an opportunity to perform. Uh, you know, injuries are a part of the game. And playing, you know, as we've said, playing hurt is a little bit of a, an intestinal fortitude thing. You don't play injured. But you are asked to play hurt, 
and uh, are they hurt? Are they injured? If they are injured, for how long? And because of all kinds of reasons, uh, Coach Norvell, which I respect, I don't like, I don't like, none of the writers like, none of the media people like, but I respect that he's just not going to share information about that. Uh, but, you know, inquiring minds would like to know and want to know. And that gosh, tell me, I want to, I got to know. Well, I agree. I think most people are in the camp of what you just said. To be fair, in some cases, you got to go through practice Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, and we're recording on Tuesday right now to figure out how the injury or the ailment responds to see if you actually are available. That is but true. Coach Norvell is not going to share that information and give a blow by blow. He's not going to say, oh, he looked good today, and we're hoping to have him Saturday. There's not going to be a confirmation one way or the other, and on Saturday we'll figure out who's doing what. Right. You are correct. Yeah, but that's the way. Let me anyway, ask you this. I? Oh, go ahead, Keith. Sorry. I can vent anyway, can I? I mean, I'm allowed yeah. to do that. No, you can. You can. Um, I think part of the – I haven't asked him directly. Part of the reason he does that, and this is more when the injury initially happens, especially if it's severe, is so that the conversation can be held with the player and the parents and the family instead of it just winding up on social media – as something that media reported right away at practice. Now, this is a little different. The injuries happened on Saturday, and the question at this point is, will they or won't they? It seems to be trending more positive, but the injured hurt thing that you bring up, I get, but there's also the, we're going into week four of the season, which is a long time to deal with nagging issues and or risk potentially re-aggravating something like an ankle or a knee, and then you're out for, what on paper right now, not even on paper, I think we'd all agree are bigger games coming up against NC State and Clemson. So that's part of what you have to weigh when you go into this. Agreed. And that's kind of embedded in my comments. So my, my vetting and my frustration is simply in the fact that no one knows and we all want as much information. We don't even care if it's accurate. We want to know that Travis went out and went through 12 of the 24 periods today, even though he was limited. We, we thrive on that type of feedback and information, but we're just not going to get it. That's the reality of the world that we live in today. I think back 10, 11, 12 years ago, I don't remember the exact year, but it was a Florida State at Wake Forest game when EJ Manuel was hurt and Jimbo started Clint Trickett and FSU turned the ball over five times. It, EJ was hurt and not available supposedly, but the game got so out of hand, the next thing you know, EJ was playing in the game. Florida State came back a little bit, but didn't win the game. But that poses the question. I know as we look at this week, Florida State's heavy favorites over Boston College, but it does go right at the heart of the question or the points that I was just trying to make to you, Keith. If Travis is 80%, 90%, if he's available, whatever available is, if the doctors say he can play, do you start him? that is the reason that head coaches get paid the money they get paid. And that is the reason the head coaches get the uh, Twitter, uh, Twitter feed and the criticism when it's deserved. And sometimes even when it's not. The answer to that question, by the way, is if you don't start them and you win handily, then that was the right call. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. If you want to go the, that route. And if you, and if you do start him and he aggravates, re-aggravates the injury, then that was the wrong call. This is how we play this game, Keith. This is, this is the world we live in. <laughs> Touche, Mr. Block. Touche. I, I, I do think based on his comments, Coach Norvell's comments on Monday, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, when I left 
Louisville on Friday night, I, I thought there was potential for season ending, at least for, for one of them, if, if not both, or, or certainly something that's four, six, eight weeks most of the season. But it doesn't seem we're headed down that road at all. It seems it'll be much quicker. Whether that's this week or not, I don't know. So I'll take that as a win. Agreed. And how nice is it to finally be back in at least a position where you are favored, even though it's acknowledged that your starting quarterback may not be participating. Uh, that's been a long time coming as well. So let's suggest that it's Tate that gets the start, and I have no idea who gets the start. How is this week different for him? And maybe he wouldn't know right now on Tuesday as we're talking that he's the starter, but he knows there's certainly a chance as we're discussing this. And so that's a different uh, mindset or a different situation than what he's gone through. Well, what Coach Norvell would say, and, and it would be an accurate statement, is that Tate needs to prepare every week like he's the starter. But the reality is when you're 18 to 22 years of age, you are not a professional. You are still growing and maturing. And what has become evident to me, and I've not corroborated it or confirmed it, maybe you know simply by, by uh, being around a little bit more, but though he is a very calm and collected person, he evidently, because of his competitiveness, he gets a little bit on edge. And I think that was clearly shown when he was thrown into the fire in the last part of the second quarter and basically didn't perform well. And then as Coach Norvell talked about, he got in at halftime, collected himself, took a deep breath, and came back out a much different player. See, you can perform well in practice because there's no pressure. I mean, the coaches try to create pressure, and they try to create competition, but the reality is it's still practice. And he has been performing quite well in practice. He struggled the first time he got a start. He struggled the next time he got in. He struggled against Louisville early. That tells me that he needs to grow up. And I don't mean that in a derogatory fashion. I just mean he needs to elevate his game above the shoulders and be able to perform during a game like he performs during practice. Well, now he's going to get a week to think about that and to do it. And all we can know is what we see come 8 o'clock or a little after on Saturday evening, if, in fact, he is the one out there. Yeah, it's sort of a chicken and an egg thing. If he had more experience, he, he might be pretty good, but he can't get pretty good unless he gets more experience, right? So at some point it's he's going to – It's difficult, and that's the balance, no question. So would you expect that if it is him that you would attack things, understanding that Boston College has different personnel and plays different defensively than Louisville – but similar concept in that let's let's give them some easy throws. Let's not make them read the whole field. Let's let's work a half the field at a time or one receiver routes or two receiver routes where it's a little bit easier to diagnose and make some throws just to get some confidence. Or do you just go into it and say, you know what, you can execute the whole playbook. Let's go. You know, I would lean towards since this is now, at least in my estimation, his fourth or fifth time of having playing time, I would lean towards throwing everything at him. Now, the book, the conventional book would tell you, Tommy, not even to go that easy throw route. The book would tell you, start with the running game, get the offense into a flow, then go to some play action, and then go to some, you know, two-step, uh, three-step, five-step out of the shotgun type of look. But given him, and, and given what he did in that second half of the Louisville game, I would be very tempted to go in with a full-blown game, game plan and 
challenge him to execute it. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. Uh, I'm interested to see. And, and uh, you know, I want to be – I want the best of all worlds. I want Jordan to rest his, his ankle, foot, whatever it is, another another week. And I want Tate to play well and get some more experience so everybody feels a little bit better about that, including himself. And then we turn the page and get ready for Wake. Uh, and we do that with a win. But, you know, we, we can't get too choosy. Let's just go out and win a football game this week, first and foremost. Obviously, that is the key. And as we've established, we have uh, our, our mantra, our mantra for the 2022 season is uh, never complain about a win. Just don't complain about a win. You exactly. can pick at the film once you get an opportunity to study it, but do not, don't. We are not going to complain about a win. There's no apologizing for a win. All right, we're going to take a break. We'll come back and get Bob Ferrante on the line, our Osceola insider. We're just getting cranked up. Big week, Florida State back home taking on Boston College. This is Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, let's open up that Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together, and say hello to our little insider this week, Bob Ferrante. Hey, Bob, how you doing? I'm doing well, guys. How are you? We're good, except uh, as we're as we're talking, uh, apparently Mike Norvell is is meeting in airports out west and about to become the next Arizona State head coach. Right? That's the big hot rumor of the early week. You're trying to put a wet blanket on this three and zero start here right away, aren't you? <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought it was funny. The Arizona State media, I love these hot lists because every time somebody pinpoints a hot list early, the first one or two candidates is almost always, without fail, wrong. It's got some kind of connection to the university, but it just doesn't work. Um, and I would say this. It's really cool that Mike Norvell, who I think some people questioned, is he on some kind of hot seat at Florida State in the offseason, which he clearly wasn't. Now, after a 3-0 and start, He's on somebody's hot list. And, and that just kind of goes to show you college football in 2022. Life, uh, life moves pretty fast. How do they respond to finally being kind of a heavy favorite, but possibly not having your quarterback, not having your defensive end? I mean, it, this is another opportunity to test that work ethic process leads to success. I'm interested to see how they perform. I don't doubt how they'll perform, but I'm interested to see confirmation of it. I hope that past experiences with these guys on the field reminds them to not take opponents lightly. And we don't have to reflect back on certain games last year, right? So let's say that's enough. Um, I don't think Florida State's going to take Boston College lightly. I think they can respect a Phil Jerkovich, a Zay Flowers, a quarterback receiver combo who's really good. And BC's BC typically does things very well that they aren't very poor at this year. Offensive line play, they're very injured. They're not running the ball great. Defensively, they're just not as good. But it's still a team that is very well coached and has some dangerous players. I just don't think Florida State's going to be in that position to take somebody lightly. Um, But I I will admit, when I saw it was a 15-point spread in in Vegas, and you're thinking in the back of my mind, well, what if that's Tate Rodemaker at quarterback? So that's your backup quarterback, 
and you're a 15 point favorite at home, it, it maybe says a lot about what people value Florida State right now, also what people don't value at all right now in, in Boston College. Yeah, you're right. But if you think about checking the box on, on some of these things, Bob, I mean, we're, we're less than a year removed or right at a year removed from Mike Norvello's never won a road game as Florida State's head coach, right? And then they beat North Carolina and they win at Boston College and won a neutral site game against LSU and now won at Louisville. So it seems like they've got that in hand. And then last week even was, oh, they're a favorite on the road. When's the last time that can they handle that? And they checked that box. So I agree the the amount of the spread surprised me, but I do feel like that they'll be dialed in and uh, they won't take Boston College lightly. And I think to me that this goes back to the to the culture that Mike Norvell has established. And to me, that really goes back to this, you know, I threw the Arizona State stuff out there because it was out there. I'm not concerned about that per se. Arizona State's about to get hammered, I would think, in terms of probation issues and all that. And obviously Mike did coach there, but to me, it's more the opposite. If you can't see how far Florida State has come since Norvell got here to right now, I mean, you're just not paying attention because what he inherited in 2020 to the way this team fights and plays for one another right now through three games, uh, it's night and day, and he he deserves the credit for that. Yeah, I think at, at some point people may get tired about you know reading or hearing about the culture shift at Florida State, but I think for right now you need to appreciate the story that it is, and and it truly does feel like a year three program in how the players act and practice and play and you know i mean you were there tom it's at, at halftime we've all heard the stories there was not a panic in the locker room there was excitement and encouragement and support for tate and and what they were going to do to help him you know guide that that offense up and down the field and jordan on the sideline leading as an injured player but as a leader i think you see that what is it the coaches like to say it, it's coach motivated coach inspired player driven and i think mike norvell has this this roster there based on the experience they've got but also the comfort in the system the comfort in the guy next to me it, it feels like there is a brotherhood and and the culture is in a really really cool spot for a year three program and and we'll see where it goes but i think it just shows what kind of adversity you can overcome whether you're home, road, regardless of the opponent, you're, you feel like, and, and Norvell's talked about the hard work. You put in the hard work, you feel like you're prepared for just about anything that's going to come to you. And then when it happens on a game day, you're kind of settled in and, and you just know to execute the same play that you did in practice on, say, a Tuesday or Wednesday. Bob, I'm, I'm sure you were there uh, when um, Adam Fuller uh, had his press conference on Monday. And one of the things he said that I think has flown a little bit under the radar, but as a former player, just jumped right out at me when he said last year he would be on the sidelines making corrections and telling kids what to do. This year, the kids were making corrections and telling him what they were going to do. I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. That's when you've got a program, in my opinion, moving in the right direction. Yeah, I think when, you're, when your leaders are parroting what you have said previously, we've heard a little bit of that. I think Josh Storms has mentioned that on, on previous, you know, maybe the coaches' shows on Monday nights or, or other programs. We're seeing coaches and support staff, you know, speaking positively about the way the veterans and the leaders 
are taking action. And, and that's, again, it's just another step in the growth of a program. You weren't going to see it in 2020, new schemes, new coordinators, all that. You saw some of it maybe in 2021, but now you're seeing it this year. And, you know, again, even with a new coordinator of sorts and Alex Atkins, it's working really, really well with this group of players and coaches. And they're very familiar and very prepared for what they have to do. And they're out to a 3-0 start, the first one since 2015, uh, which is great to see. 8 o'clock game coming up against Boston College. We'll continue our conversation with our Osceola insider, Bob Franti, right after this. Stay with us on Front Row Knowles. Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ, and let's reopen that Earl Bacon Agency hotline or keep it open and continue our conversation with Bob Brant. Hey, Bob, let, let's go back to, to Tate. And, and we didn't, we haven't really talked about Tate with you so much. Keith and I did in the first segment. But you've you've seen him at practice, and we've heard all these reports that he, he plays pretty well at practice, uh, certainly at times, but there's days where he's better than Jordan Travis. And then we saw that in the second half. But there's also been the the – the issue or the challenge of nerves or taking a little while to settle in, which we saw again at Louisville. So assuming he's the guy who's going to play or, or whenever he next gets a chance, how do you think he and Florida state can get him past that? I think Tate, I think the issue with Tate all along was there was inconsistency in his day to day. You would see good moments. Then you would see some really bad moments. You would see some, some maybe questionable decisions, um, I, I thought it was it, it was weird on the TV broadcast. They said something the effect of he wasn't known for his athleticism. Well, he really was known for his athleticism doing cartwheels on social media. It, it's just we hadn't seen enough of him having success on the football field or, or having the the comfort to execute what he knew he could do on a practice field. Um, we were familiar with seeing him truly struggle whether it was a spring game or, you know, the couple of years ago, starting as a true freshman, which is a miserable spot to be in as a quarterback to try and start a game really early on in the season as a true freshman. So I, I think with Tate, it's just the coaches just want him truly to build on each week on each practice. It sounds like he's doing all the right things. He's preparing to be the starter each week, whether he's playing or not. These are all kind of positives and things that you want from a backup quarterback. I, I would say now my caution is what happens when the Boston College defensive staff has a full week to think in the back of their heads, okay, yes, we may see Jordan Travis. Yes, we may see Tate Rodemaker. We're truly preparing for both these guys and kind of picking apart tendencies and seeing what they can find. And, and with, you know, unlimited amount of time and, and, and some kind of paranoia, you, you go through all that film in deep detail so then the question becomes, well, how, how can Tate maybe overcome defenses truly being more prepared for what he's going to throw at them? Yeah, but there's another aspect of that chess game too, Bob, that the game plan for the first three games were what can Jordan Travis do well? And therefore, if Tate has to come in, he has to do and be like Jordan Travis. Well, now if you're preparing for Tate to be the starter, what does Tate do well? And you put that game plan together, it may be a it's it's a subtle, but it's a very distinct difference 
that uh, our, the Florida State staff is, is, is faced with and going to have to equip. Yeah, I think in the whole discussion, too, we have to give praise to the Florida State coaches for making the in-game adjustments and figuring out, I think Alex Atkins mentioned, you know, they knew what Tate Rodemaker's strengths were. And I think it was a very subtle message of we knew how to tailor things on the fly to what Tate does very, very well. And honestly, some of it is just the downfield passing game with Tate is pretty exceptional, you know, for a guy who doesn't have a ton of college throws under his belt. And, and yeah, it, it was Johnny Wilson, but it was other guys. And so the whole package, I think, worked really well. Um, another unheralded storyline is still the blocking downfield from the receivers. Um, we saw the running game pushed really well in the second half. I think that's in part because of the blocking by the receivers. I think Tate helped to stretch the field and kind of stretch that Louisville defense out. So he gives you a lot to think about when you're scheming against him, for sure. So does Johnny Wilson now. So, Keith, I want to ask you as a safety. So you're, you're, you're for Boston College, and you're looking at this game tape of FSU and Louisville, and Florida State's going to set Johnny Wilson up on the outside, and maybe they even stretch him further outside than what he normally would be. What are you doing defensively when you look at him there? You are not putting a safety in the box. So Florida State's running game is going to be a little better from wherever it started from simply from the fact that you've got him outside because you're going to see a lot more zone. You're going to be seeing a lot more safeties backed up. You just have to. You just can't roll the dice. Again, I go back to things, and our fans, excuse me, our listeners that are older will remember this, but the last time we played Florida in Dope Campbell in my career, you know, they got Chris Collinsworth on one side and Tyrone Young on the other. Collinsworth is 6'5", Young 6'6", or 6'7". Now, I don't know that either was as, as, as gifted uh, maybe as, as, as Johnny is uh, in today's world, but you didn't see me moving up against the run. I'm lining up at 12 yards, and my first step is backwards. I mean, you just protect against that. It, it makes you have to game plan to it. Well, and to that point, this is a staff, Atkins and Norvell, that even when they've had bad offensive lines the last couple of years, they've found a way to get yards on the ground. So now if we're going to make it easier by saying that guy can't be in the box and you've got a better offensive line, which you've already seen. I mean, Florida State's one of the top rushing teams in the ACC, I think second. And uh, Treshawn Ward is maybe tied for the league lead in total rushing yards. I mean, Bob, do you do you see this as a big week for the ground game? It just, I mean, they're they're happy to start off passing and then wear them down with the run. That's sort of what we saw last week because Louisville had so many guys in the box. But if you're not even going to be able to put guys in the box because you're worried about Wilson, it seems like it's going to be a, a a big win at the line of scrimmage from the get go. I think this is the ideal kind of run pass scenario when what you guys were talking about. You can't have the safety in the box because of the fear of Johnny Wilson, but you also got the fear of Mike McLean. You got the fear of all these bigger, elusive receivers. And, and really with three running backs to throw at a defense, it, it's going to wear them down. Um, you know, I saw David Hale put out a tweet over the weekend. Of course, it was 727 rushing yards. That's more than they've had in a decade. That, that's that's through, through three games. If you're comparing a three-game stretch for Florida State going back to, say, 2013, so these are pretty good numbers. And yeah, I think the identity moving forward for all of our discussions about quarterbacks and wide receivers is to run the ball. But I think that balance must be achieved. And, and this could be 
a very good year for a balanced offense for Florida State. And the good thing that balance gives you is unpredictability. You're confident throwing the ball on first down, even if you're incomplete, because you know you can run the ball on second and possibly third and still gain that first down when the running game is going well. So being able to be a lot more creative and, and keeping a defense off balance, I mean, everything just works to the positive. Now, if Tate starts throwing interceptions, starts missing receivers, if he reverts back, which I don't think he will, but if he does, then you got to adjust to that as well. Yeah, I agree. I think the play action, it comes into play too. You know, you can use that play action consistently. Defenses have to respect it. I, I think it's, it, it, this balance could be really very much the positive that Florida State's looking for moving forward. Yeah. Bob, what about the defense? Uh, obviously they're nicked up and we don't know about love it in verse, but it, it, it seemed now part of this is Malik Cunningham and maybe he's the big part of it because the defense did get three turnovers, including the game winning pick and made some stops, but it seemed like the run fits were not what they needed to be. And there were missed tackles, which has not been something we've really seen from this defense uh, since the Louisville game last year. So you think that's Cunningham? You think that's an aberration? You think it's cause for concern? What say you? I think at the moment, it's a little bit of everything. You know, a lot of it is Malik Cunningham. A lot of it is Fabian Lovett is a disruptive force and, and, and eats up a lot of uh, a lot of running backs there in the middle. I, I think just the replacement after Fabian Lovett was not good enough. Those guys have to play better and and, and through experience are these coachable moments where they can they can be better. Then you have to look to um, you know, how much how much can Kalen Deloach and Tatum Bethune be out there on the field? a lot and almost constantly um, can they solve a lot of those problems and prevent some some of the big plays up the middle. I, I think we saw early on, especially when when Tatum went down for a couple drives, there were some gashes up the middle, you know, from Louisville's ground game. I, I don't know if this is the week with BC's running game being far less than efficient and that offensive front for them being pretty banged up. This maybe isn't the week of concern. But yes, moving forward, um, especially after Wake, which is also kind of struggling on the ground at the moment. Yeah, it, it's a definite storyline into October and November if some of these injuries are truly, um, let's say, longer term than, than a game or so. But you know, going back to Louisville, how do you win a game without Jared Verse and Fabian Lovett? And, and you're really seeing the defense on its heels, but coming up with those takeaways. I think that's maybe what Adam Fuller takes pride in is, yeah, we gave up a ton. And yeah, Malik hit us often. But to have those takeaways, to have the, the big stops late on those final couple drives, and yeah, Kevin Knowles with that you know phenomenal Sunday wide receiver catch on the sideline, those are just kind of those moments that that they need from, from the guys to, to instill just confidence that you can do that in a tough setting on the road to, to keep a team from rallying. They all get upset because they put up points and they, they had almost 500 yards of total offense. And we forget about the three takeaways and how, and how much that game would have changed if Florida State had turned those takeaways into points. We forget about the two missed field goals. Yeah. That's six points, but yet those are drives that don't result. There were three three and outs, and there was a fourth down stop on defense. So three takeaways, three three and outs, a fourth down stop. That's seven drives that you altered what the opponent's offense was doing. 
but you didn't score many points off of them. And once you start scoring points off those turnovers and those three and outs, this is a completely different looking Florida State team, in my opinion, as well. Yeah, I think those two kind of mid-range field goals, what was it, 36 and 37, if you're just making one of them, it changes the complexion of the game. If you're, cha- if you're making two of them, which, which Ryan is very much capable of doing based on his, his stats from last year, that's a very different game. And you're way in front of Louisville late. Um, you know, he, he's changed his mechanics. He's trying to do different things. I know there's frustration out there among the fan base and Ryan. The coaches have stood defiantly um, saying that Ryan is the kicker. And we'll see if that is, is truly the case on Saturday. Um, but but kicking issues need to be fixed because drives are going to get stalled out against really good defenses, better defenses. And you got to be able to say, okay, I, I Mike Norvell loves to go for it on fourth down. I love that he loves to roll the dice. But at some points you have to say, I trust the kicker to make that three, and that's the best decision. And, and right now you have to look at Ryan and say, I, how much do you trust him? Um, I, I think that's a question that we all have, and we all will until he makes a couple more, you know, pretty solid kicks. It seemed like they changed their philosophy on kickoffs last week a little bit and just let them boot it through the end zone and not worry about trying to pin it to the left uh, side hash or right side hash. I don't know that for fact. Was that your impression, though? Because there were a few touchbacks in there. One less thing for him to worry about is what I'm driving at. And, and I think a lot of this is, you know, you hate to say kicking is a mental thing because it's very much technical and mechanics and all. But I agree with you. It's one less thing for him to truly worry about. And he can very much focus on, you know, the, the snap, the hold, the kick and, and making that kick. And, and I have to appreciate that it's a tough spot for college football coaches to be in because you don't have kicking consultants or kicking analysts on staff. At some point, I wonder if college football staffs don't say, we need an analyst. We need to go find an NFL, a retired NFL guy and hire him for 75 grand because this will win or lose games. But for right now, this is where a lot of college teams are. I don't know too many teams out there that have a kicking analyst. I'm going to say something that sounds bad, but it's really positive. I think you just recruit kickers that are crazy. Because all the great kickers I've ever seen, they just don't think the same way. I mean, you look at Billy Capice way back in the day. You look at Janikowski. I mean, these are guys that just march to a different drummer. And if they missed one, so be it. But Billy would come back and kick nine in a row, and Seabass would kick one from, you know, 112 yards out. Um, maybe maybe it's a recruiting thing. We just need to get crazy kickers. We'll just have to wait and see. <laughs> I feel like this is international studies. This is the international rule for Sebastian. This is international studies and in how you recruit kickers. <laughs> Didn't Sebastian leave a year early? I mean, has he got one year left? Can we get him back here? Uh, I don't think you're going to get him to do anything that is uh, requires any discipline. And I don't, again, I don't mean that in a bad way, but after what he kicked 16 years in the league, 15 years in the league, I, I think he's going to sit and watch. I don't think he's even going to voice an opinion. And, and again, I mean that in a positive way. That is not a cut at any stretch of the imagination. I hear you, KJ. Bob, we appreciate it, sir. See you at the stadium on Saturday. Take care, guys. 
Be sure to subscribe to the Front Row Knowles podcast and follow at Front Row Knowles on Twitter. Now back to at underscore Tom Block and Twitterless Keith Jones. Yes, you heard us right in the Prime Meridian Bank Studios. Good conversation with Bob Frante, our Osceola Insider. As we wrap things up on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you for a few more minutes. That was a good conversation. I, I, to your point where we started the show, Keith, uh, we're, we're re- nearing the end of September and we're only in the midweek and we're all antsy and anxious to get the Doe Campbell on Saturday. And this is what it feels like when you're 3-0 and again. It's been a while. It has been a while. Uh, and, and I think also we're, we're nitpicking. We're able to nitpick. I mean, you and I talked in the postgame podcast about, you know, you can't have three turnovers and not get points. Well, that negates the fact that you got three turnovers. And then we fussed about two missed field goals, but you still won the ball game. And so it, it's a different place for the kids. It's a different place for the coaching staff. It's obviously a different place for us as fans. Uh, we, we have to protect, just like as you talked about, the team having to protect about not staying focused, not staying after it. But I'll tell you, um, you know, you talk about building a culture and you talk about laying a foundation. And so far, you know, as we've talked about, the kids are parroting what the coaches are teaching them. It doesn't seem to be it doesn't seem to be connived or made up. It seems to be genuine. Um, we saw Tate come in and perform well. You saw some of the youngsters come in when Verse was out and perform well. You know that next man up mentality. And um, I'm I'm continuing to be cautiously optimistic about what the ceiling is for this squad. I'm not saying 12-0 and 0 and play for the ACC championship, but um, you've got to like where you're positioned right now. Well, you have to like the return on investment in the transfer portal as far as wide receivers. Johnny Wilson, we've talked about, is the ACC receiver of the week. Last time FSU played, it was Ontario Wilson. So I don't know who took the Vegas uh, – gamble there and had Florida State winning that honor two of the first three games it played but uh, and that's without uh, Winston Wright even being available yet so I mean good news there hey Keith as, as we wrap up a couple other things here did you see the news that the ACC has decided to move its headquarters from Greensboro to Charlotte oh so what a shot move. oh what a <laughs> shot <laughs> it took them first of all nobody's shocked that it stayed in North Carolina but considering you and I have been having this conversation for about 15 years, the, the basic premise being if you're going to be in North Carolina, be in Charlotte, not just for the headquarters, but for anything you're doing, at least they finally listened to us a little bit, right? Or maybe it was the tax incentives they got from the city of Charlotte, whatever. They're moving. They're moving. <laughs> Nothing else for you to add on that topic. Oh, what a shock. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Uh, the uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame uh, initial list of of candidates is out for next year's class. Now they got to do a lot of cutting. I think there's a 119, 129 guys on the list. Anquan Bolden's on the list. Warwick Dunn's on the list, and Antonio Cromartie is on the list. So there's there's three Knowles in there. I had to look up Cromartie's stats uh, from his NFL career. I knew he had played a while and had an awful lot of picks. He had that one year with 10 INTs, 30 career interceptions. Uh, for him and a few touchdowns mixed in. But out of those three, do you think any has a legitimate chance? And it'll be January before they narrow this down, uh, I think. I'm not sure that Anquan and Warwick uh, have a chance early. They they may end up being like Leroy Butler, 
and and you know it takes some time for the voters to to um, mature on them, for lack of a of even better word. Uh, but Anquan's numbers and his consistency uh, are good. Warwick's numbers uh, and consistency are good. Now they're not off the chart. But the other thing is, and I'm sorry, I, I realize it's supposed to be about your performance on the field, but both of those guys are NFL men of the year. Both of those guys have done some unbelievable things off of the field in terms of their foundations and their charitable work. And on the case of Anquan, his advocacy for certain causes that he believes in and for Warwick, what, 110, 115 homes now. Oh, I his, think he's uh, over 200. I think he just sold him short. Oh, I think did he's I over 200. Short? I apologize. Yeah. I apologize. There's a bunch of them. And so if you factor in to whatever degree you're supposed to, who they were in their character and what they've done off of the field, ultimately, I think both of them get in. I don't know about Cromartie. Uh, I think he may have some issues that be with a negative. I don't mean that as harshly as it sounds, but um, I'd love to see both of those guys in because I think, I think both of those guys in Bolden and, and Warwick are, are very deserving. Yeah, I, I agree. It'd be nice if they could get there. Uh, I, I, you, you summed it up perfectly. I can't add to that. 202 houses is the total, by the way. Warwick, I'm sorry. I apologies. We don't want to sell you short. I'm talking about the number of houses in Florida. So you're including <laughs> the number of houses in Georgia. Okay, 202. And Louisiana. I mean, he's he's all over at this point. All right, Keith, uh, 3-0, and sounds fun. Let's get to 4-0, which would uh, be sort of poetic in light of being 0-4 a year ago. If you can get a win Saturday to be 4-0, we'll take that. Hadn't thought of it that way. That's a nice that's a nice ring to it. Let's make it happen. Under the lights, Doak will be packed. It's family weekend. Students sold out there a lot. It should be a fun Saturday at Doak Campbell Stadium. Till next week, folks, he's Keith, I'm Tom, and this is Front Row Knowles.